You're listening to the Finishing Strong Podcast, a lifestyle podcast for men who want to thrive in the third quarter season of their life, but need a sustainable plan. I'm your host, Steve Poniotu, and my life has been dramatically changed and influenced by some of the most knowledgeable and thoughtful people in their respective fields. I want to share these ideas and people with you, and perhaps they can do the same for you. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm finishing strong. Well, today's guest is a a really neat guy because him and I have a lot of synergy together because we're old guys. And uh, his name is Dennis Mangan. And he is, uh, man, he's a fixture on social media. And he is helping us men, older men as well as younger, to get fit and healthy and right. And Dennis uh, runs roguehealthandfitness.com, and he's dedicated to exploring cutting-edge science in men, men's health. And um, so he's got a, a really interesting story, and he's got a lot of resources that can help men to uh, exactly uh, be thrive in this ser- this season of life. And even if you're a young guy, he's got a lot of application for you too. So Dennis, welcome and love to hear about your story. And then we'll talk about men's health. Uh, thanks, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. So you, you, you want to hear how, how I got all, all got into this and everything, huh? Yeah. Are you a med- medical wreckage? Yeah. So, um, right. So, well, I, I've been interested in health and fitness for a long time, uh, probably since I was, you know, 18, 19, something like that. Um, and I, you know, on reflection in recent years, I've realized that a lot of it came from the heart disease epidemic, which was going in, you know, in full, uh, rush when I was young. So I, I was free in 1965, that was the peak of the heart disease epidemic. And by heart disease epidemic, I'm talking about middle-aged men clutching their chests and dropping dead of heart attacks. This was a, a big rising problem in the 20th century. It's gotten a lot better lately. Um, now the, the age adjusted rate of heart attacks has fallen greatly, even though heart disease is a, still a big killer. It's mostly a killer of much older people. Uh, so anyway, this was very much evident when I was young and my father had heart disease, so it didn't kill him or anything like that, but he lived with it. And I saw it up close, uh, popping his pills and, you know, having chest pain and all this. Um, and, you know, really severely affected his life. So I was determined that to the best that I, to the best of my ability, that this was never going to happen to me. So that was a kind of an early imprint. Anyway, later on, I got very interested in health and fitness. Um, and, uh, I started out, I did a little weightlifting in college and, but I really got into distance running. So this this was uh, by this time, this is the mid to late 70s, and the running craze was just getting going. So I I hopped on board and I I did a lot of running. Uh, eventually, 
running quite a bit of distance. I, I've run a couple of marathons in my life, 26 mile races. And, but mostly in daily training, I, you know, I would run every day, several miles. And then maybe on, on the weekend, I would do a 12 to 15 mile run. For example, that was, that was pretty normal for me. Um, and so everything, and then later, later on, still into, the, into getting into a deeper dive into health and fitness, I became a vegetarian and eventually a vegan because I was hearing all this stuff about how uh, saturated fat, fat was going to clog your arteries and give you heart disease and everything. This was the, this was the, uh, the mainstream message at the time, as it still is. And um, so I, I was okay doing that for a while, but eventually I became ill um, in my early 40s, uh, and eventually it was diagnosed as chronic fatigue syndrome. Basically, I was tired all the time. I had to stop running because I just couldn't handle it at all. And started my odyssey going to a series of doctors. None of none of the doctors. I, I you know I probably saw a dozen different doctors during the time, during the eleven years that I had chronic fatigue syndrome. And and nobody much could help me. I did did find one guy who who helped me considerably, but the. the and, it, uh, you know, strikingly enough, this one doctor who helped me a, a, quite a bit was very much an oddball in, in the medical field. Um, the mainstream guys couldn't help me at all. And really, a lot of them didn't want to have anything to do with me because they would see me a couple of times and the lab tests were all normal. They couldn't find anything wrong with me because um, I, I looked normal and had, you know, normal didn't have any symptoms other than fatigue. Anyway, um, somewhere along the way, after several years of this, I, I figured out that uh, if I were ever going to get over this, I would have to do it myself or try to do it myself, figure it out for myself. So um, I, I have a degree in microbiology and I studied pharmacology at the PhD level. Um, so I have a background, enough of a background that I could just dive into the science and try and figure out what was going on because I I realized that all all the stuff I was hearing, the you know, mainstream help, mainstream doctors and so on were not helping me at all. Uh so I started figuring a few things out and I started making changes. So uh, the, the big change, uh, you know, at, at first I was looking a lot into supplements and so on and started taking a few. Um, the big change, though, was changing my diet. Uh, it was actually quite a shock to me early on when I started investigating that it, I, I realized it, it may not be such a good idea to be a vegan. I, I thought, um, well, wait a minute, this is not what I've been hearing. It's supposed to be the healthiest way. And I realized that there were all these issues with protein and um, the internal antioxidant system, glutathione and so on, that where vet, being a vegan could really have been letting me down health wise. And eventually I came to the conclusion that it was just without being totally convinced i i came to the conclusion that it was too risky for me to continue to be a vegan so i didn't so i stopped 
Um, and so I started eating uh, basically a paleo diet way, whole foods, lots of meat and vegetables and so on. The other things that are, you know, eligible in the paleo diet. And before very long, uh, I felt quite a bit better. So at, then when I started feeling better, I had, well, I had always wanted to be able to take up lifting weights again. And I thought if I, you know, if I ever feel better at all, I'm really going to be doing that. I want to, you know, I want to put on some muscle. So, so I started lifting weights. I had an old barbell at home and I started messing around with that. And I mean, the first time I did it, I did it for about 15 minutes and thought I was going to die. Um, but I kept at it. And after about a month, I realized I needed heavier weights. <laughs> so I joined a gym and I'm still at the same gym. I never looked back. That was uh, nine years ago. So uh, that that is where I am. And then and then so after that, I really got into really got into the research Um I mean, I, I accumulated huge stacks of printed out scientific papers, journal articles. And I thought there's a lot of this stuff that, you know, most people don't know this stuff at all. And, there, and there's a lot of things that could help people. And so I decided to write about it um, way back before when I had chronic fatigue. I told myself, you know, if I ever figure this out, I need to write a book about it. So then when I was a lot better, I remembered that. Oh, well, and then I thought, well, I guess I need to write a book about it. So I did. And I started my website. And then so I've, I've written a number of books since, written hundreds of articles on my website. Um, now I'm very active on Twitter, as you noted. And um, that's where I am today. That's my story. That's really interesting. It seems to me, though, you you came at it from a different angle than most people because you weren't you didn't have metabolic syndrome like right. the average American out there. In fact, you were very slender. If you uh, when you go to his site, you'll see a picture of before and after, and you see a a, a, a very slender man. You would think he was very healthy because we think that. Uh, thin people are are normally healthy, and uh, you you look like a you know a, a stockbroker or some you know a bank teller or something like that, and um, and we don't see that anymore. We see guys our age with with a big pot belly and uh, metabolic syndrome and that kind of thing. You you came at it from a different angle. Um, with your, is it fibromyalgia or just chronic fatigue or the combination? It's, yeah, chronic chronic fatigue. I I didn't have any you know any kind of pain or anything much. Okay. Yeah, you were just. It sounds like you were just really depleted, huh? Yeah, right. So you're right. I did come at this from a very different angle. Um, didn't have metabolic syndrome or anything like that, like so many men do. Was not overweight. In fact, I was underweight, or anyway, very close to being clinically underweight, and um, yeah, depleted. Uh, I think that's probably a good way of putting it. 
So what was the first book you wrote? It's called Smash Chronic Fatigue. Wow. Okay. It's not listed on your website. Is that... Is there a reason for that? Uh, uh, no, it's it's still available. Um, okay. you, you, it's on if you if you go and look at my any of my books on Amazon. Uh, click on my name. The, the, I have an author page, so you can you can see it there. Um, it's only available as an ebook, but it's there. Right. Yep. So, what did you find when you shifted your macros, if you will? What what did what did you notice first about what you were eating before and when you switched to paleo what were the things you eliminated and what are the things you added that made a big difference well um one of the things i i suppose as i i mentioned already protein seemed to be a really big deal as far as i could see in regarding in regards to my illness and uh, for example, something that really struck me when I was reading about, uh, there was a paper about elite athletes who had overtraining and fatigue. So you might not think that elite athletes would have much to do with somebody who has chronic fatigue, but these these people were fatigued, they fatigued, they couldn't keep up their their high level of training that they were used to. And when their trainers gave them more, you know, instructed them to eat more protein, they got better. So, uh, you know, I put two and two together and thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's my problem. As far as what I, you know, what I was, I was actually, you know, for a vegan, I was eating pretty well. There, there are a lot of junk food vegans. I mean, you know, a peanut butter sandwich and a Coca-Cola is vegan. And some people do eat like that. So I, I never did. I, I was, you know, I was eating whole foods, lots of, you know, rice and beans, that kind of thing and vegetables um, and, you know, whole grains, what are, what are all supposed to be healthy, which I realize now are not, uh, you know, better, better than better than junk food. But um, that's about all you can say for it, I think. Um, so when I started eating a paleo diet, the most, I think, I guess the most noticeable thing is meat. I mean, it just tasted so good. It, it was, you know, and to this day, um, when I eat meat, which is like several times a day, I, I think, wow, this tastes so good. It just feels like that's what we're meant to eat. And you know, that's what I was, that's what I was missing, uh, as, as a vegan, my, my first foray into paleo, I was trying to do, uh, you know, I got a little bit of what I think now is bad advice where, you know, they were still trying to have you avoid saturated fat and large amounts of fat and so on. So I was trying to do things like eat, eat a big tuna salad, you know, um, and that just wasn't cutting it. it I was starving two hours later. So I, you know, I eventually just chucked all that out and went into the meat. So eating meat and, and vegetables and, and eggs, dairy too. Uh, so yeah, that, that's what I did. And I, that's pretty much with, with a few changes, that's still pretty much how I eat now. 
Right. So you weren't a, a vegan for the sake of the animals per se. You were you were doing this because you thought that eating vegan uh, was was healthy. And so when right. you switched to the animal foods, it wasn't a big disconnect for you or you didn't have to go through this moral dilemma, did you? Well, you know, in a way I did. Um, I mean, I, I thought that uh, doing what I was doing was, um, you know, in tune with the whole animal rights thing. And that's not I, you know, it's not why I got into it, or at least it wasn't the main reason I got into it. And so what I, you know, as far as any kind of ethical dilemma, the way I look at it now, and okay, let me, let me just back up a little bit. You know, we, we human beings, we, we decide what to do because for various reasons, because we want to, or so on. And then, and then the, you know, the, we rationalize them afterwards. So, you know, whatever you want, maybe, maybe this is a little too cynical, but you know, whatever you want to do, whatever people want to do, they find reasons to do them and rationalize themselves. But anyway, so when I started eating meat again, I mean, the way I look at it now is that if eating meat is the, is necessary for human beings to thrive if it's what we eat as food and have eaten for millions of years um if we'd be unhealthy without meat and all of this which i believe is true then it can't be immoral to eat meat that's just nature it's it's the world we live in so did you have uh vegan friends come after you or be upset at you or it, back, probably back then there wasn't social media like it, there is now. And so that social media backlash wouldn't be there. Right. Right. So no, I didn't. Um, you know, that, see, that's another thing is that, uh, you know, I suppose with social media, it's probably a lot easier to be a vegan, but you know, when you are a vegan and every social event you go to or family gathering or whatever, you're the odd man out. You can't eat what everybody else is eating. Anytime you're out, you've got to find your special food to eat and so on. And it is very isolating. It's, it's, it's psychologically quite difficult, in my opinion. Do you find that now where you have to um, do the same thing with the amount of meat you eat or or uh, are you pretty much flex metabolically flexible that you can go out and have whatever people are eating? I mean, you know, well, ultra processed food and that kind of thing. But is that an issue now? Um, not as much. Um, you know, you you can pick and choose, but y yeah, it is like if you go out to a restaurant, for example, it is tough for me. Uh, some, you know, it, if you really want to, if money is no object then it's fine. You can go to a steakhouse or something like that and all is fine, you know, what you want to eat. But if you're going out to a casual restaurant or something, it can be tough. Um, and, you know, any kind of the thing about going to any kind of gatherings, friends or family, that kind of thing is that it it can be tough 
you know, finding the right things to eat, but I don't feel the, don't feel the social isolation in the same way. I, you know, that I'm not this sort of, uh, I don't know, special snowflake that has to have this, this special food. It's, it's different. Right. So when you, uh, got healthier and decided to write the, write, uh, the book and, and you, um, built your web page. So that was all with the intent to helping men or people. Um, uh, how did that start? And then how did that evolve into what you're doing now? Well, um, I, you know, I just started and, and I was in contact with a few people online who, who kind of liked what I was doing. Um, I think, uh, a major, I think a major motivation behind my doing all this is, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, self-actualization. Um, you know, I want to, I want to produce, I want to, um, complete myself to, to, you know, have an outlet for what's going on in my brain and for, for what I do. So, um, you know, combining that with helping people, showing people what's good for their health, uh, that was a good combination. Um, I, again, so I, I was in contact with, th this is going back, say, five years. I, I just had a regular sort of blog site and, you know, somebody said, well, you know, you need your own domain if anybody's going to take you seriously. So I set up Rogue Health and Fitness and just kind of grown gradually ever since uh my the growth and readership has been more than gradual over the last year uh got got a lot of new followers on twitter and on my website and so on but that that's all that's that's how it happened it just i just dug in and i started writing um for years i was writing maybe three articles a week for my website and um I, i'm putting my energies into other things right now so my my article writing is less often um but that's that's how i did it and that's that's how i that's how i got where i am today as they say right so uh i'm about uh helping men and they're i call the third quarter season of their life in their 50s we're not dead yet. We're not going to the casket yet. But right. this is a time for us because I'm 57 and um, I was metabolically challenged big time. And um, I just couldn't figure it out, too, too, until I met some some people, weirdos like you, <laughs> <laughs> um, that helped me understand metabolism. And so... I, I, much like you, with the encouragement of my friends and family to, to want to help men. And looking at your website, you do a lot of that. You do a lot of, I mean, I'm looking at uh, what, you're, what you teach, maximum strength and anti-aging, how men can boost their vitality, increasing testosterone. I mean, these are all just... Uh, amazing topics that us men really need to get a handle on. And that's, and, and, and this is uh, one of the pillars, I'm, I'm just going to call it a, a pillar 
that us men, we have to know and understand metabolism. I really believe that for your sake and your family's sake, that that people uh, need to know how this uh, this uh, this part of our our human, which is uh, our human biology, works. And um, for years, we we just didn't understand. I didn't understand, and people didn't understand what that looked like. And it seems in the last few years, people are are getting a better handle on it, and and addressing that. Um, talk to me about uh, metabolism and 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 how you see it, and, and some of the important factors that go along with metabolism. Well, right, so. You're you're so right about men roughly our age. Uh, I'm 64. Um, you know, need help, and they're not getting good help from mainstream advice or from their doctor, in my humble opinion. And it does have a lot to do with views on metabolism. Um, basically, you know, starting starting back in the 70s, everybody was recommended to eat a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet, and that's been a disaster. It's led to the obesity epidemic. Um, when people eat carbohydrates, so, you know, carbohydrates are bread, pasta, bagels, breakfast cereal, fruit juice, soda pop, all this all this kind of stuff. It, 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 it raises insulin, and insulin so insulin is a hormone that that is um, that is used to clear glucose to promote glucose uptake into cells and glucose uh, insulin is also a, a growth promoter so what happens is that glu uh, insulin goes up and then insulin also stops fat uh, lipolysis fat burning so which which is all you know all makes logical sense. When you eat, you want to store what you ate and, you know, not be burning fat. So what happens is people have a constant state of high insulin or they spike their insulin up a lot when they eat because they eat often and too much and too many carbs. So uh, this this is what's happened. And then you just see the results all around you with, uh, you know, I mean, the the average man around our age is overweight or obese. I mean, I don't know how many of them are, you know, sort of trim and lean, you know, around our age, what, 10%? I, I don't know. So, yeah, they need help. And then they, you know, if if they... So obesity and aging are two big risk factors for chronic disease. So you have men our age that have all kinds of ailments. They, they may be developing heart disease or they just don't feel well. Uh, later on, over 65 is a big time when people develop cancer um, and other problems. You know, later, they, you know, you have things like, you know, dementia and frailty and, you know, all, this, all these bad things. The When, uh, when people are, in their 60s, only about 10% of them have no chronic disease whatsoever. So only about 10% are reasonably fit and healthy. So the whole the whole thing has been a disaster. The the low fat, high carb diet, um, cutting carb cutting carbohydrates allows for fat burning, and 
allows insulin to come down. Well, both part of the same thing. Insulin comes down and then you burn fat. Also, when you cut carbohydrates, there's there's a phenomenon that has been described many, many times in studies of low carbohydrate diets, and that's known as spontaneous reduction of calories. So typically when they study people who are on low carbohydrate diets, they allow them to eat as much as they want. So as opposed in the case of low fat, high carbohydrate diets, the standard way of losing weight is by calorie reduction. So they put somebody on one of those diets and say, well, you can only have 1500 calories a day, for example. And that's hard because people get hungry. So what happens when they go on low carbohydrate, high fat diets is spontaneous reduction of calories. In other words, these people are not hungry anymore. They eat and they're satisfied and then they don't need to eat as much. And then they spontaneously reduce their food intake and they lose weight. So it's just that simple. And then all kinds of, you know, their metabolic problems go away. Insulin resistance goes down and they become more insulin sensitive, which is very good. Insulin resistance is just completely tied up in all, virtually all chronic diseases. I hedge by saying virtually, I want to say all, period. Um, so. Yeah, metabolism is crucial. There, it's obviously a complicated subject, but um, by by eating a lot of carbohydrates and by eating them pretty much around the clock, which is what what the average person does. The average person eats during a period of fifteen hours a day. Um, they keep insulin high all the time. They never allow fat to be burned off, and they get fat. They develop insulin resistance, and after that comes the heart disease, the cancer, the diabetes, metabolic syndrome, etc. And then worse problems as they get older: osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, frailty, sarcopenia. What is it about high insulin or insulin resistance that 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 triggers these chronic illnesses? I'm sure they all have different kinds of uh, mechanisms of action, but what is it, uh, when I get to that point where I talk about high insulin, it, to me, there's a little bit of a, a leap from that to chronic illness. And what, what is that that causes those? Well, yeah, well, good question. And, and I think, um, the best way to look at it, uh, and by, by way of explanation, that it's been known for a long time that in in laboratory animals restricting their food makes them live longer and so this was first discovered in the 1930s and but there were hints of it even before then in fact there's a famous case of a man named Cornaro in 15th century Italy who was very ill when he was in his 30s and he thought he, he was so ill, he was thought he was going to die. And his physician advised him to stop eating so much, to eat one meal a day. And so he was resolved to do it. And so he ate one meal a day, a fairly sparing meal, one, one meal a day, and he got better and he lived to be 100. So it's been known in some form or other that there's this 
opposite relation between food and longevity. The more food, the more growth, the shorter the life. The less food, the less growth, the, the longer the life. Within species of animals, uh, yeah, within species of animals, the smaller animals live longer and bigger animals die younger. Like for example, in dogs, small dogs live longer, big, big dogs die younger. In mice, same thing. Although that does not hold across species, across species, bigger animals tend to live longer. Elephants, for example, or human beings. Interesting. Uh, in a nutshell, there's this opposing relation that it's growth versus longevity, right? The, the more you grow, the shorter your lifespan. By your, I don't mean, you know, you or just us human beings. It's just a general biological principle. The, the, the more you grow, the shorter you live. The less you grow, the longer you live. So food promotes growth. Insulin promotes growth. So what happens in insulin resistance is that your, your tissues become less sensitive to the actions of the hormone insulin. And there's, there's still all kinds of debate as to why that happens. Like, for example, does insulin resistance come before obesity or does obesity cause insulin resistance? You, you know, things like this, it gets, it gets very complicated and there's still no, no definite agreement on lots of points. But the fact is people do become less sensitive to the hormone insulin, in other words, insulin resistance, and the hormone insulin then increases to overcome that resistance. So when that happens, you get, uh, when, when that happens enough and long enough, you get metabolic syndrome. When you can no longer increase insulin enough to overcome the resistance, uh, then you get your glucose in your bloodstream rises and you have type two diabetes. So all this insulin, when you have insulin resistance and then the insulin itself goes up, insulin is promoting growth, is promoting, promoting all kinds of physiological processes that shouldn't be happening or at least should not be happening all the time. And these are the things that promote disease. So you can, you know, take a take a simple example um, in coronary heart disease, you have growth of plaques. So, again, there's lots of debate going on in this field as to how and why all this happens. But the fact is high insulin promotes growth and you have growth of arterial plaques. Uh, insulin resistance is highly related to coronary heart disease. Uh, glucose intolerance is highly related to, to it. So I guess, uh, you know, that in a nutshell is why and how insulin promotes diseases. It, it, it's, a, it's a part of a very general biological principle that promoting growth shortens lifespan and causes chronic disease. Right. That's that's interesting. Yeah, when and then the increase of plaques somehow they get inflamed and 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 then follows the cholesterol and then the cholesterol gets blamed for what the <laughs> plaques do and, right and uh, it's it's a mess. But I'd like to get into a little bit of of your anti aging 
What are some of the principles that you talk about in your anti-aging guide? You, this is pretty new to you, isn't it? The anti-aging blueprint. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So that that's a, a course that I made. It's been it's been out for about six months now. It's a, a series of video lectures with slides, and it it sums up. Um, Every, every, you know, I intended it to to be a summary of current knowledge of aging and how to um, slow or reverse it. So there are, uh, you know, a number of principles and possibly the most basic principle is uh, of anti-aging is the one I just outlined for you. Right. So. In other words, growth versus longevity. Right. And so when you look at it that way, body composition is very important for aging. Um, A lot of you you read in in a lot of uh, scientific articles about aging, they say that aging, as as people get older, they tend to become obese. They tend to become, they put on body fat and lose muscle. Um, That's a very it's it's true that that happens, but whether that's due to aging or due to something else is is another question. But um, so body composition, the relative amount of body fat versus muscle that you have is very important in aging. If you want to age fast, allow your muscle to go and allow yourself to accumulate body fat. Obesity is basically a um, an accelerated form of aging. It, it accelerates aging. So if you want to fight aging, you need to keep your muscle and keep your body fat lower. And this is one reason that I advocate, you know, the various things for aging. For example, um, resistance training, very important. Anybody who's serious about fighting aging needs to be doing resistance training. Um, and this, this is another thing that is just not really taught, um, in the mainstream that, you know, they, the exercise prescriptions are generally pretty weak. Like they tell people to go walking every day and walking is fine, but you know, you can do a lot better than that by resistance training. Um, when, when another, so, so body composition is important. Not only do people accumulate fat, but they lose muscle. So this happens starting by age 30. It's actually measurable that people are losing muscle. And it accelerates with each passing decade so that by the time someone is 80 years old, the average person will have lost 50% of the muscle mass they had when they were young. Wow. And yeah, it's huge. And so that that's really a disaster for aging. For one thing, muscle is a metabolic sink. It, uh, it uploads nutrients. It's a, it's a huge user of energy and nutrients in our bodies. And when you have less muscle, that means you're going to uh, have uh, more insulin resistance. Then there are the practical matters. When when, uh, muscle loss gets really bad, the pathological loss of muscle is known as sarcopenia. And this happens to very old people. They literally can hardly get out of their chairs or walk around because they don't have enough muscle end up having to have somebody take care of them or in, in a nursing home because they they just can't do, even do anything for themselves they need assistance at all times 
so the for those um for those reasons there are that's why that's why I advocate that I advocate resistance training. I advocate the diet that I do, which is like we were talking about, basically a paleo diet. I I don't refer to it by that name anymore, but it's the same thing: whole a whole food, minimally processed, low carb diet, uh, heavy you know heavy on the animal foods, along with vegetables and and fruit, some fruit and a few other things like coffee, tea, and red wine. Um, so, in an, interestingly enough, going on to a slightly different tack, there's a lot of research now about chemical compounds, in other words, drugs and supplements and other things that fight aging. And interestingly enough, what virtually all of them have in common is that they fight insulin resistance and basically recapitulate calorie restriction. So things like metformin, rapamycin, resveratrol, curcumin, a lot of other things that you may or may not have heard of, that people may or may not have heard of, they work in the same way uh, as calorie restriction. So they, they make people more insulin sensitive and they promote longevity by doing that. Um, so, you know, that, that's that in a nutshell, um, you know, I, there, there's a lot of other things I could talk about in terms of anti-aging intermittent fasting, for example. So intermittent fasting is another thing that recapitulates calorie restriction, but actually is better than calorie restriction. Uh, not too many, there are some people that do calorie restriction, but they report a lot of side effects. Like for one thing, they're hungry all the time, as you might expect. And, you know, or being cold, low libido, this kind of thing. So, you know, calorie restriction is most people wouldn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Um, but intermittent fasting has appears to have virtually all the benefits of calorie restriction with none of the adverse effects. Yeah. Could you could you uh, go into that a little bit? Because some people might think that. uh well, you're restricting calories when you're doing intermittent fasting. So what's the difference there? Right. So in intermittent fasting, it's, uh, you know, another way of looking at it is time-restricted feeding. So, um, for, for example, if you fasted 16 hours a day and sleep time counts, then you're eating during a, a feeding window of eight hours a day. So suppose you ate between... 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. daily, but never outside that time other than a cup of coffee or something, um, then you're intermittent fasting 16 hours a day, but you're not restricting your calories necessarily. There, there have been some studies that show, you know, they might eat, people, people who fast intermittently might eat somewhat less than people who don't fast intermittently. Um, but it's just a small amount. Basically the health benefits don't come from, uh, or main don't come mainly from weight loss. They come from the fact that you're not eating all the time, uh, which, and, and so the health benefits of fasting, and this is very important for aging is that there's a process known as autophagy, which is 
the way by which our cells renew themselves. And it's strongly increased by fasting. And when we're when when we're young, this process is very robust. And by fasting overnight, for example, when you sleep, it increases this process of autophagy and you renew yourself. So young people are young, right? They don't just grow old overnight. Um, but this process is downregulated as you get older and it's harder to increase as you get older. So by fasting, you you increase this process and basically you allow you allow your cell your your cells to renew themselves by breaking themselves down. It make you know, when you think about it logically, it makes perfect sense. When you have no nutrients coming into your body, you need a certain supply of nutrients at all times for cellular processes and cells will break parts of themselves down to get those nutrients and they preferentially break down the old parts, the the, the proteins that are uh, you know, past their sell by date and uh, organelles like mitochondria that are past their sell by date. So they break down the old parts of themselves and self digest them and recycle them and, and replace those with, you know, newly made, um, newly made proteins and organelles and so on. So this is, this is what the, what these, what virtually all anti-aging interventions have in common is that they increase the process of autophagy and allow cells to renew themselves. Yeah, interesting. That's a huge topic. And, uh, you know, the, uh, Jason Fung is a, the, almost the guru of intermittent fasting. So if uh, the listeners out there want a really good understanding um, look up Jason Fung on intermittent fasting. But I think there's another aspect uh, of the difference between intermittent fasting and calorie restriction. And uh, and I believe that uh, when you calorie restrict, you're slowing down your, metabol- your metabolism. Yeah, yes, good point. Yes. Can you speak that, to that? that? That's true. Yes, that's true. And so with intermittent fasting, that's not... Uh, that's not happening for for relatively short fasts of, of 16 hours, even up to a few days. Metabolism does not drop; it actually increases. Um, so long as you you know intersperse the fasting with periods of feeding. So yeah, no no drop in metabolism, and that's one reason why intermittent fasting doesn't does not have the adverse side effects of calorie restriction. The you know calorie restriction with the feeling cold and weakness and low libido, that sort of thing. Good stuff. Well, you have a a treasure trove of information on your website. And um, I would encourage everybody to to go to roguehealthandfitness.com. But let's end on this. this, uh, I'd like to ask you, give me like four principles for us men in this age range to think about just just the last your your last ditch effort pd to 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 sound off to men and and then we'll we'll wrap it up okay well so um yeah for for men around our age uh i would say that complacency is a huge temptation and they should really fight that 
Um, I, you know, I'm at the age right now where men are retiring and I look at retirement as something really to be avoided. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, keep working the nine to five that you hate or something like that, but I'm saying you have to have a purpose. You have to have goals. You have to be active. So, uh, and, and, you know, playing golf and watching Netflix is not going to cut it. You're you just, <laughs> that's not going to cut it. That's not enough purpose. So, uh, men are getting, in my opinion, uh, men our age are getting poor medical advice and poor health and fitness advice from the mainstream. And they should look to what works and what works is eating whole minimally processed food. So, Unfortunately, most people eat tons of ultra-processed food. That's factory food, manufactured food. The average American eats 60% of his or her calories as ultra-processed food. That's the stuff that comes in a box or a bag. It's garbage. And it's full of refined grains and sugar and seed oils and soy, and it's making everybody sick, fat and sick. And I, I don't mince words about that. That's That's the major problem there. So men our age should avoid that. Men our age should lift weights to to gain muscle. And there's a nice side effect there because it helps you gain in optimism and self-confidence and a you know, good outlook on life. Um, and you know, men men who want to you know get healthy, they should consider intermittent fasting. So by by doing those things, you know, the the average the average man could be could be healthy. The average man our age could be healthy, but the average man our age is not healthy, unfortunately. It's because they eat all the time, they eat ultra processed food, they eat garbage, they don't exercise enough or in the right way. Um and so that you know that would be my message the 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 principles behind it are really very simple i mean i just i just said what they were in in about 2 minutes so um it's very simple it requires some discipline i mean personally myself i don't feel like I've, I really need a lot of discipline. What happens is you make these things a habit. You incorporate, you, they become your life. And then you don't even think about them anymore. You just do them. I mean, I, I don't have to, for example, stop myself from eating crap food. I just don't eat it. I don't have it in my house. I don't eat it when I'm out. Um, and people I talk to there, you know, they, so many people just have this tremendous temptation all the time. It's like, Oh, this food's all around me. And, you know, I need, you know, then I ate a pizza last night and drank a bunch of beers or, you know, some, this kind of thing. Well, don't have it around you. Don't touch the stuff and don't have it in your house. Um, don't eat it when you go out. I mean, you, you wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, do you just grab a cigarette when you're out just because some other people are smoking? Most people would not do that, but they don't think anything of, you know, eating eating the garbage food that's that's just out there just because it's in front of them. What's a what's a average day look like for you? Just give some context, because um, when we talked about 
lifting weights. I don't want to, uh, you know, put people under a big uh, pile thinking, oh my gosh, I got to spend three hours in the gym every day. What does that look like to get effective uh, resistance training? Right. So, uh, no, it does not require spending hours daily or even hours weekly in a gym. And that's, that's, you know, I have my, my program, uh, it's called one hour fitness, um, that's been, that I've had out for a few months. And that's what it's all about. It's about the proper way to, to weight train. And if you do it, if you know what you're doing, you can do it in 30 to 60 minutes a week. So that my practice, I spend about 60 minutes a week in the gym myself. So a typical day for me, I, it, as it happens, I went to the gym just before we spoke today. So today was a gym day. I went, um, I was in the gym almost exactly 30 minutes and I left. So the thing is, uh, you're working pretty hard when you're, when you're there for that 30 minutes. Right. So my, my, my program, one hour fitness will tell people how to do that. But in any case, you ask me what a typical day is like for me, I get up very early, uh, usually before 5 a.m. And I drink some, I drink tea, um, used to drink more coffee, but tea agrees with me better. So I drink tea. I work on my computer. I don't eat, typically don't eat until, um, depends on the day. But not until 10, often until not until noon do I eat anything. Um, if it's if it's uh, not a day to go to the gym, I might go for a walk, a uh, half hour walk or something like that in the morning. Or um, another thing I've been doing more of lately, uh, I've been doing some sprint sprinting exercise on an off, on an off gym day. Um, and then, so I'll, you know, I have lunch. I, I mean, I just continue, you know, I, I work a lot at my desk and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have dinner. Um, my girlfriend cooks me dinner and, you know, we typically have, uh, you know, meat and vegetables is a very, very typical thing. We have a lot. Uh, so that's how my day goes. If it's a gym day, I typically get to the gym about one in the afternoon and, uh, work out hard. I go to, go to the gym twice a week and and work out for half an hour it's 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 a kind of training known as high intensity training um and so that's it i mean we don't we don't have uh, garbage food in our house so there's no temptation for me to eat it and i wouldn't want it in my house anyway um i i do intermittent fasting a lot so when i'm out out and about i don't necessarily feel the need to eat all the time you know when you eat that's another thing. When you eat the right kind of food, you're not hungry all the time. So you, there's less temptation to, to eat, you know, whenever, whenever it's right in front of you. So I don't know. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And you know what's really amazing about that? It is not rocket science. What you described was totally not. What's no. wrong with having meat and vegetables? And and working out twice a week for a half an hour each time that what you've described is just so doable for men, for anybody. Yeah, yeah, and sure. It, we're not asking you to go to the gym three hours a day and eating some cr crazy 
um, diet or or watching all of your you know counting calories or counting no. macros or anything like that it's right. it's very simple you want it to it's totally simple it's totally simple it's it, let, let me just add one more thing here people have wrong uh, a very common misconception like I'm saying this in response to, you know, your idea, the, the idea that people have about I got to be doing all this work in the gym all the time, all this exercise. No, you don't. Food is far more important for the, your health and the way, you know, your body composition and so on than exercise. Exercise is important, but if you want to lose body fat, you got to watch what you eat. It's 80, 90 percent is food. That's what's important. Right. And you haven't talked about rest, uh, but sleep would be very important as well. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And yeah. so, what you know, like you said, uh, what we're describing here is very simple. And, and so many people online that, that, that we resonate with talk about that. You know, in the 60s, if we just went back to what we did in the early 60s and the 50s, you know, we didn't have food at our desks or food right. in the car and everywhere you right. go there's snacks and everything if we just ate three meals centered on animal products and and actually worked out um and lifted a little bit a couple times a week it's not that hard but it, it it's it's got away from us and um, right the, the snacking culture in this country is just incredible. It's ridiculous. I mean, people have to eat all the time. They just, they, they can't go. They, you know, they, they got to feed the kids snacks all the time at school. Oh, what? He's gone two hours since breakfast. He needs a snack. You know, <clears throat> this kind of idea. I mean, it's, it's and, and adults are that way, too. They just got to eat all the time. It, that, it's terrible. Yeah, no, I agree. We're on the same page. And I think you laid it out uh, so easily that this is totally doable. So all, all you listeners out there, take a look at his website. Where can people find you, Dennis? Um, well, so as you said, roguehealthandfitness.com is my website. I'm very active on Twitter. My handle is mangan150. Uh, and those, those are the two main places. Uh, once you get to my website, you'll see my books and my, my, uh, program. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, uh, your, your wisdom and knowledge helping, uh, us men to be, you know, to thrive in this, this season of our lives and, and to be all that can be. Thank you, Dennis, for what you do for yourself and and for our community. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Uh, th thanks for saying that. And, and thanks for having me here. Okay. Take care. We'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Finishing Strong podcast. If you've been impacted by what you've heard on this episode, like, comment, and subscribe, and tell a friend. Follow our guests and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm finishing strong.